Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, in the heart of January, in the heart of winter, we can say the baseball isn't boring. And yes, spring training is still a few weeks away, but as we record this, we are a few hours away from the Hall of Fame announcement. Who is going to be the next inductee into the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame? And we've been talking about this, and I personally have a second year of voting for this. Last year, first year, this year, second year. It's been such an honor to do. It's also been a ton of fun. We obviously did the ballot reveal with D.B. Sweeney, reprised his role as Shoeless Joe Jackson about 35 years after Eight Men Now. It was a historic event and one that I certainly will never forget. And you can go back and listen to the D.B. Sweeney podcast on Baseballs and Boring to get all the what's what when it came to that adventure. And it was an adventure. I want to thank once again, D.B., for being part of that and making uh, such a great memory for both me, my family, and and everybody who follows the Hall of Fame. It's about having fun. It's about appreciating history. And it's about entertainment. And those things hit on all three of those. So now we're talking about who is actually going to get into the Hall of Fame. So. In this podcast, we talked to on the radio. Uh, this is baseball isn't boring on the radio, but I got a chance to interview David Ortiz the other day at the Red Sox winter weekend. And one of the questions I asked was how life has changed since he was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Now, now, as you can hear, as you're about to hear with David Ortiz, it was it obviously has had a huge impact on his life. And for me, uh, one of the highlights of my professional career was when David invited me and Ian Brown of MLB.com to go basically go to the Hall of Fame in May and take this private tour of the Hall of Fame with him. And I was sitting right next to him, right next to him. In the mu- They start with in the movie theater where the inductees, in this case, the inductee, because obviously David was the only inductee last year. He sits there, watches about a 15, 20 minute film with Hall of Famers talking about it. 
And I mean, I'm 10 feet from him and I look over and I can see this is hitting him. Hitting this, this is just hitting it where it hurts, not where it hurts, where it's happy. And it was really, really such an impressive thing to see that this guy being, being so impacted by this short video. And then, of course, we go in the Hall of Fame and there you have David Ortiz holding Babe Ruth's bat, uh, looking at all the exhibits. It was, it's just, it was just such a wild experience. And, it also it also brought home for the first time and what would be a couple times what this whole honor actually means. We go through this and we anticipate, well, hey, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Is that guy a Hall of Famer? Well, you know, we that's part of the conversation, but then you actually have the votes. You hit over 75% of the votes, and lo and behold, you're in the Hall of Fame. And then that's when the next wave happens. You get the tour of the museum. You have the induction ceremony, which I also attended on Cooperstown, first time I had done that. And then you just live the life of a Hall of Famer, HOF. I mean, HOF. You get to sign in everywhere you go. So uh, so what I want to do first before we get to my ballot I want to play this clip from David Ortiz talking about what it has meant to him to be in the Hall of Fame in the last year. I, well, one of the highlights I've ever had was taking that tour of the Hall of Fame with you back in May, where it was just us, where you just had the tour. And I saw how much that meant to you back then. I mean, we were this far away when you're watching the highlight reel of all the Hall of Famers and you could tell the emotion. Has it hit home now that you're, now, I don't know if you know this, you're in the Hall of Fame, but now that you're in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> has it hit home that you are there and has that changed your life at all? Well, um, to be honest with you, not much has changed. <laughs> you know, I'm all over the place like, you, like I used to. Um, the thing is that I uh, basically, I, 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 am, I was the type of player that I, I used to work on my image, promoting my image and doing some other things that uh, once I became to be a Hall of Famer, I was already at the, at the choir there. I don't know if you know what I mean. Yeah. So everything continued the same, but it has been an incredible honor, to be honest with you, to be part of the Hall of Fame, man. I mean, they put you in this one room with guys that a lot of them you didn't get to watch them playing, but a lot of them you get to to watch them play, and you'll be like, this is pretty cool. Like, guys that are my hero, I'm in the same room wearing the same cap that they are wearing. You know, it's something that uh, it, it, it's, 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 you're never going to end up uh, um, uh, fantasizing about that. You know what I'm saying? It's something that always going to... It's never gonna get old, basically, you know. And 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 I have so much respect for a guy like Pedro that I never like tried to wear his shoes. You know what I'm saying? And and now that we both are Hall of Famer, I still like look at like I might really at that right there with Pedro. You know what I'm saying? Like I just stay home, but I just keep it away. And and I feel like I'm a blessed man because of it, you know. How about a hand for the great David Ortiz, everybody? Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks coming. Right. David, there enjoy you your weekend. All right, buddy. That's the Hall of Famer, Big Poppy. All right, so, you know, you can get you get the feel of it. You taught the spirit of the things, David Ortiz, right? And then 
after I talk a little bit about my ballot, I do want to get into someone who obviously wants to be in the Hall of Fame, is in the cusp of being in the Hall of Fame. But we we have to understand that perspective as well of these guys. We've had guys downplay it, and you know, and then their vote creeps up, or they downplay it, or they go off the ballot. Well, Billy Wagner is a guy who has gone up and up and up and reached a point now where he's actually in the conversation of maybe getting in. And it's going to be really, really interesting with Billy. I mean, he's in his eighth year, so he has a couple more tries to go if he doesn't get in this year. But still, he's on the cusp. And you, when I, what I want to do is we did another Baseballs and Boring podcast with Billy. And I'm going to replay that at the end of this podcast, and you can hear you know how much this means to him. And sometimes we forget that, and, and we shouldn't forget it because you know this is what the, a lot of these guys are playing for. You know, it's much like in a much smaller realm, players who hit the 10 year mark in their major league service time. Like for we we say, oh, congratulations, you get a cake and you get some clubhouse celebration, whatever it is. This means a lot. There's only a a small percentage of guys who hit that 10 year mark of service time. So that's an example of this accomplishment that that hits home for these guys. And then you take it to the millionth level with a hall of fame. It just, it's, it reaches a point. It's, it's crazy. All right. So who did I vote for? I voted for eight guys, as you might know, eight men out, get it because we did the eight men. uh, I'm sorry, eight men in because we did the eight men out ballot reveal with DB Sweeney and shoeless Joe Jackson. The guys I voted for in his first time on the ballot, Carlos Beltran, uh, Todd Helton, I voted for last year. Andrew Jones, I did not vote for last year because I had maxed out at 10. But if I did have an 11th vote last year, it would have been for him. Then you have Manny Ramirez voted for him. Uh, Alex Rodriguez voted for him. Scott Rowland voted for him. Gary Sheffield voted for him. Billy Wagner voted for him. And so you have... Those guys, let's see, did I hit eight? Yep, that's eight. So to break this down a little bit, the one guy that I didn't vote for who's on his 10th try and is going to be eliminated is Jeff Kent. And, you know, I was on the cusp. I was on sort of the the borderline of whether or not to vote for him. And I didn't vote for him. But, you know, I could I don't have a problem with that conversation. Absolutely. Of Jeff Kent being in. He was, you know, for a period of time, he was a dominant player. So I go back to really when I was before I had a vote, I was sort of looking at how people were voting and how you sort of got this weird he was in this era, he was in that era, stats were different here, stats were different there. And I just thought a good way to look at it for at least position players and, and maybe for pitchers as well for pitchers it would be top 10 in Cy Young voting top 5 in Cy Young voting for position players it would be top 10 or top 15 in MVP voting and people say oh well that's writers are voting for that believe me if you finish top 10 or top 15 you're having one of the best years of that year in that group of your peer group so Jim Rice is a perfect example of this. I go back and looked at Jim Rice, and for a 10-year span, I think he might have finished top five like six times. It was dominant in that era. But then you match up maybe his numbers if he played from 95 to 2005. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't compare. But he was dominant in the era he played. Now, I use that. I do still use that. But I can't be a hypocrite 
because a guy like Scott Rowland, who has the best chance of getting in today, I think, you Scott Rowland, according to uh, Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Thibodeau and his crew, who just uh, do an unbelievable job. If you want to go listen about their sort of progression, go back and listen. Uh, Ryan was also on the Baseballs and Boring podcast. So Scott Rowland, as we sit here, with about half of the votes coming in, 48.7%, he's at 79.8%. So you you obviously have to be over 75% to get in. Um, It's going to be close because usually you have a drop toward the end. Now, another guy who's been climbing is Todd Helton. Todd Helton's right there. So Rowland's at 79.8%. Helton's at 79.3%. We're going to see who who takes the biggest hit when it comes to the ballots that haven't been made public. But I think that, honestly, as much as we want Billy Wagner in, he was great on the podcast. I voted for him. He's at 72.5% right now, and he's probably not going to make a jump. So, But that's a huge jump from last year, where he's at 51%. So if I think with two more years to go, Billy's in a pretty good spot. I do, even though you're going to have more guys coming in, I do feel like he's in a pretty good spot. As for the other guys I voted for, Andrew Jones, he's in the sixth time in the ballot. He's at 67.4%. Just keep going down that road. He still has some years left. He can still get in at some point, just not this year. You have Gary Sheffield, 62.7%. Ninth year, one more year to go. That's going to be tough for him. The 62% isn't, I might not be good enough. Manny and A-Rod, they're not getting in. I mean, unless they go in the vote from the whatever committee that is later on, they're, Manny's at 36.8. Alex Rodriguez at 39.4. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think, I don't think they're getting in. Although Alex Rodriguez, you know, just he's in the second year. So maybe there's, there's some time left. Um, who else we got? So then we have Carlos Beltran, Carlos Beltran first year in the ballot. And, you know, it's funny because this is another one where a lot of people say, take five seconds. And is that guy a hall of famer? Well, you know, a lot of people say you see Carlos Beltran. No, Scott Rowland, same thing. Is that a guy a hall of famer? No. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. Honestly, I I probably subscribed to that at one point in my life. But then when you get a vote, I feel like you have to do due diligence. And for instance, with Roland, Roland didn't add up when it came to my whole top 10 MVP thing, but he was an overall war guy. And you have this war, which is, I think is at 70, which is, is a, nobody's not been in the Hall of Fame with that level. And I can't ignore that. I, I just couldn't ignore that. I, when you have something, when you have a valuable way to measure something, and I do think war is valuable. It's not the be-all, and all I think some people overvalue it. But when you do have something value, and then you have someone who has that level where everybody else who has that level is basically in the Hall of Fame, then I think you have to look at it a little bit differently. But with, when looking at Beltran, he was just such a great player across the board. Great player defensively, great player offensively. And at, to start out his first year in the ballot at 55.4%, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's not bad. So he, I think he has a chance. It's going to be by this year, you have two guys. You have two guys who are going to keep an eye on. Maybe by the time you listen to this, you already know. Roland and Helton, right on the edge, right on the edge. Remember, I think at this time when we had about this many ballots in, 
I'm I'm thinking that Dave Ortiz, who obviously was the only one to get in, was just over 80%, and he just squeaked out over 75% last year. So keep in mind, it's going to drop a little, but this is why the fun. This is why it's fun. This is why it's fun. All right. Well, subscribe, rate, review. This is just a midday. Brave baseballs and boring. A lot of good stuff coming up, including, by the way, taping tonight, a guy who, looking at his numbers, holy mackerel, no doubt. In the Hall of Fame, Joey Votto in the Hall of Fame. You know, he could not have a terrible year this year and he's been having a struggle a little bit lately, but no doubt about it, Hall of Famer. You look at OPS, like what he's done, MVP votes, all of it. Well, maybe that's a conversation we'll get into the podcast. But for now, I want to give you someone who is trying to get in. Uh, this is uh, a rewind. Rewind of a podcast that we did before, but I think that you might want to listen to it. It's Billy Wagner. All right, everybody, enjoy the Hall of Fame conversation. Well, baseball isn't boring in large part because of excellent, excellent, excellent pitchers who are, who really have inspired a lot of young pitchers coming up. And one person that falls under that umbrella is Billy Wagner, um, a guy who I voted for the Hall of Fame, and we're going to get to that in a second. But first of all, man, what a thrill it is to talk to you, Billy. Uh, so good to hear from you. I covered you briefly. Like when I say briefly, I mean briefly <laughs> with the Red Sox. But uh, uh, but it's yeah. it's good to hear from you. How you doing? I'm great. I really appreciate you having me on here. Uh, you know, uh, great opportunity, and it's always great to talk baseball. All right. Well, okay. So, in case people uh, are not familiar with your work, which if you aren't, then you aren't following baseball. But we're here to educate and and entertain. Uh, so, I am going to go down some of the list of your credentials, and this I'm going to cite Cooperstown Cred for this, which is. A great website when it comes to giving sort of the pros and cons of each uh, Hall of Fame uh, member or, or candidate. So here we go. So you have Houston Astros. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Billy, but I don't think I am. Uh, Astros, 95 to 2000, 2003. Phillies, 2004 to 2005. Mets, 2006 to 2009. The aforementioned half a year with the Boston Red Sox in 2009. And then the Braves, 2010. 422 career saves. Six most all time. Career 231 ERA. Second best in the last 100 years to Mariano Rivera. I think people might know who he is. Uh, 187 adjusted ERA plus. That is also second best all time Major League history to Rivera. Career 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings. That is the best in MLB history. Career 0.998 whip. Per, that's obviously walks per hits for nine innings. Second best in MLB history is somebody named Addy Joss and seven-time All-Star, which is always nice to go to the All-Star game. So in case you were woke up this morning, Billy, feeling down about yourself, I'm here to build you up. There you go. You should feel pretty good about things. <laughs> Already walking on clouds. <laughs> all right, so of all the things that I mentioned, like obviously, you know, this is what we do. This We go through sort of the candidacies and, and the the credits and the accomplishments of all the things individually, because I, I know you're a team guy, but individually of all these numbers, maybe I rattle off or anything else. What is the thing that you sort of hang your hat on the most that you're like, okay, you know what? That's pretty dang good. Well, I tell you, you know, I think uh, uh, batting, slugging against, batting average against. I mean, if you're, you know, when you're dominant, people aren't getting on base. Period. 
uh, e- ERA can be it, it can be suspect. Uh, it, it, you know, I think it's you know subscribe. I, I think it's you can you can. I, well, I'll take my my playoff ERA a, a thousand <laughs> or a million, whatever. <laughs> you know, in in. It, in that, you know, it, it looks awful, and it is awful, but I'm three for four in save opportunities, and I'm one and one. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is, you know, you can you can describe what's important and what's not important with those numbers, but when, when you talk about being dominant, we all have, you know, anybody that's even in a discussion at Hall of Fame or anything like that, and you talk about dominance, everybody has a different, you know, way of being dominant. I mean, Mariano, you know, everybody knew what Mariano was going to throw. I think Trevor with his changeup was phenomenal. I mean, it's just, but I mean, when you go out there and you go, hey, he's striking out 33% of the guys that he faces. And, you know, I think there's numbers that you're just like, wow, well, you know, those are those are numbers when, when they are brought up to me that I'm like, you know, because you don't, you, you know, as a professional athlete, you get, you become one of two things. You, you, you really become uh, very egotistical about uh, your how good you are or you're 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 kind of just you, you just don't pay attention to that and I was not one to really pay attention to the uh, I, I never thought I was good enough to be to, to think about my stats I was I grew up about hey you you just you never talk about your stats you never look at your stats you those aren't things if you're not winning you're a loser and so I mean uh, you didn't celebrate those things I mean there was so many things that but now living on the backside and being able to kind of smell the roses as they say you know being able to look at those stats I mean those are some that for me you know if I if that wasn't me and I was looking at you know and that was somebody else I'd be like wow you know <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty impressive yeah so you, you talk about going through sort of your career and not feeling like you're, you're worrying about winning you're worrying about getting guys out when did the Hall of Fame thing come on your radar? Was it was it till after you retired, or was it toward the end of your career? When did the sort of hey, you know what, I might have a chance at this? Well, I tell you, you know, the biggest, you know, always wanted to go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, that, uh, what kid doesn't? I mean, what kid doesn't want to stand on that podium and look behind him and see the greatest of the greats? You know, and I think something that really spurred me was when I was in, I played in the. Uh, 1998 uh, All Star or 99 All Star game uh, in Boston, and you walk out the 100 greatest players to ever play, and you're looking at you know Sandy Koufax, Robin uh, Roberts. You're you're looking at some of the greatest of greats. You know Ted Williams rolls out there. <laughs> you're you're. I mean, who doesn't want to be part of that? I mean, those are things for me that you know. I liked that. I liked wanting that, but I was one of those to be very apprehensive about talking about it or looking at it because it was like that uh, kiss of death. And so, you know, uh, I mean, I wanted I wanted to go out there, and I knew that, you know, I had to do my job. I, I never worried about who was on my team but in, in the bullpen. I mean, I had some of the greatest relievers ever to be with me, and but I never I wanted to I wanted to win. Mm. And when you when you want to win, you don't the numbers don't work because as a when you're a good player, you know when you're good and you know when you're not good. Mm. And so you you don't really need the uh, 
you don't need the pats and rubs to, to, to know that. I mean, when I was bad, I stood there and took it. When I was, when I was good, I was able to get out of the locker room a lot easier. So, <laughs> um, but those are, that's just that, but you know, I think I always want to be that, you know, Nolan Ryan was somebody I always looked up to, how he, how he went about his business and being able to play with guys with such, um, tremendous ability like Randy Johnson, um, Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin, um, having those guys on the team to kind of watch them and, and to pitch behind, along with playing with a bag one, a Biggio, and countless numerous guys that I, you know, played against. Uh, you know, I think you know, that, that's always been something. I, I mean, I literally, when I had the chance to go to New York, that was part of that, you know, we're at a part of my career where I'm like, hey, you know, this is, this is the next, you know, place to go if you can win in new york you can win anywhere and you can really kind of make your make your bed in that and so uh that was that was part of you know that whole transition you know going from houston to philly in a trade and then then i finally have a decision where i can go that was you know but that that mindset of hey you know you got to put yourself in a situation where you can win Mm -hmm. and and if you're able to do it in a big market then it, it it's only better well, all of that, you know, and, and that's the thing is that you do it in a big market, you have the numbers, and by the way, you're pretty dominant all the way through. Like, I, Billy, like one of the things about Ortiz last year when he got in, I said one of the things that I thought helped him was that he uh, he was – people remembered his last year. That, that was the last impression that they have of him. And, and for you, it's the same way. I mean, you were, you were good up until the end. And then – but I think that obviously we know, and this is where we sort of start picking through this l- ludicrous nature, I think, of how, you know, Hall of Fame voting has gone. But, you know, I think that at the time that you first became a, a Hall of Fame eligible guy – it was a different perspective, maybe a little bit, of the relief pitchers. Because because they should have they should have viewed it the exact same way they viewed David Ortiz, which is look at this guy was dominant from stem to stern. And so when you got that that first round of votes, like did it surprise you? Did it surprise you the way that things were going? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's just like your first trade. Mm. It really is. When when I got my first trade, I was so frustrated and so immature and didn't know what I was what I was seeing or handling it. Um, and so I remember when the Hall of Fame. You know, I really didn't even know anything about the Hall of Fame. I, I didn't even know when it started or anything. But you know, all of a sudden you get something in the mail and, and it shows that you're on the ballot. And so I'm looking at it, and so, you know, all of a sudden my kids are really, you know, at that point I'm coaching my oldest son in high school. And so, you know, it's a big deal. Everybody's talking about it because, you know, and then, you know, all of a sudden the one thing that you can't control is is very prevalent. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot control what people say. Mm-hmm. And so it was very hard to, 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 to hear the, the negativism from from people about me and because all I could do I'd already done there's no words I could say there's no coming out in the press going you know this is you know what it is and this is unfair you know it, it didn't matter and so you know it, it was it was tough the first couple of years to see that you know I'm I'm probably not going to get very much. Uh, I'm probably not going to have a chance here. I'm probably going to be off the pallet here for long. And then 
I remember Reed Ryan, Nolan's son, and I were talking. He goes, he goes, you just got to be patient. Mm. He goes, he goes, people, people will figure it out. Uh, Jesus Ortiz from Houston, who's been tremendous supporter of mine with uh, Richard Justice and guys down in in uh, Houston. They, they, he's done a lot of lobbying for my behalf. But they were like, hey, you know. Give it time. You know, you got to work through a lot of stuff. You had Clemens, you had Bonds, you had a lot of things going on at that time. Because you just got to, you know, you know, just stay the course and, you know, just try not to do anything stupid. <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, you know, but, that, you know, uh, and so that with that, I, I really you know, I dove into coaching because of, you know, loving, loving the game, but, and, and, and enjoying giving back. But it also took my mind off of what else was going on around me. And so, you know, I, I quit worrying about that. And there was times I didn't even know what was going on. My kids would come and go, Hey dad, you know, this happened. I, I mean, last year when there was a big jump in, in the, uh, the percentages I, I had no idea you know I, my kids go well man you, you made a big jump then you started getting a little people were talking a little bit more but you know i'm just stay busy with with that and it's to 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 some degree it's been a good thing yeah but you know i think it's you know and and so last year was my first year of voting for the Hall of Fame, um, off because you know it's a whole other story. Um, but, but you know, this not put it this way: this uh, the Baseball Writers Associated isn't perfect in a lot of ways. It's fine. But um, so I had to reset. Last year was my first year of voting. So now the one thing that I wanted to do, Billy, when I did it was I saw when I was watching from afar, I saw how some people weren't clearly putting in the time and effort to look at things or clearly making their votes on things that shouldn't matter. And, and when it comes to, and, you know, I'm a big ballot guy. Last year I voted for 10. I voted for you. Uh, this year I voted for eight. I voted for you. And, um, and I'm up for debate, you know, and it, what's interesting is, is that the f- part of the fun of it is looking into like all the things that all the things that are intricate about these these votes, um, and I and I like you said like I, maybe like coaching is is a good distraction, but you, you now you see also you see the ad- all the all the things that were said early on. I would imagine you get a whole lot more attaboys, including by the way from our guy Shoeless Joe Jackson, the only guy, <laughs> the only guy Shoeless Joe voted for in the ballot reveal. But it must feel good though that people are starting to take a little bit deeper dive. In this, and this is why your vote total is going up. It does. It, it does feel good. I, I, I mean, I think not just for me per se, but I mean for a, a Rodriguez and for a Kimbrel and for because those are guys that are very dominant. And Kenley Jansen, guys that are down the road, you know, have been so important to our game and to the league and to to the growth. And I mean, there is. I mean, I think. I think. Uh, there was a, a writer, I won't say his name, but he talked about how, you know, and I, I wasn't very good when it really mattered. And so, and I thought that was funny. I was like, well, for 422 times, I had to be good, <laughs> and it did matter, because if you don't get those saves, those don't matter. And when I had save opportunities in, in a postseason, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at 75%, three out of four. I mean, when it didn't matter, it was good. And we, yeah, those are, so, you know, 
it, it is you know objectively looked at about when is it important when are you good because if you watch tv and, and a bullpen just melts down and you don't play good and the closer blows a save i mean you know are the yankees the yankees if mariano isn't there mm. I mean, I, I mean, we can play that, you know, cat and mouse game. But I mean, it's, I think, you know, how you view guys. I mean, there's relievers that are that definitely should be viewed differently. I think they're, you know, uh, setup guys. Oh my gosh! I mean, a closer can't be a closer if she doesn't have guys who get him the ball. And I mean, if you're dominant in the seventh and eighth, those are are important innings and in a lot of games that that the game is won and lost in those innings. But, I mean, you know, I think if you play professional baseball, you have longevity, there is a, a way to be dominating. Mm. And when you're dominating, it, you know, it doesn't matter what part you set in that team. I mean, um, you know, I watch today, and there's just guys that are, I mean, sim sending guys to 103 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's guys that just put up crazy stats. And I, I think that... You know, um, you know, players should be viewed for their dominance for what they do. Because, you know, it's funny. I talked to, to Goose Gossage, and, you know, no way would Goose ever agree with, you know, how he closes compared to how I close. Mm. And, that's, and that's okay. And I'm, totally, I'm like, because I'm a huge Goose fan. I love Goose. Why? Because, because, like, because of the multiple inning thing? Or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, you know what? My first save was three inning save. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my, I had a couple when I was early. That, those, that was the norm. And when you're, when you're groomed like that, that's 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 a common thing. You don't even think a thing about it. But then Eckersley comes along, and you know he he makes it a one inning thing, and you know I, I mean he made it sexy. Eckersley mm-hmm. made that a sexy role, you know. And I mean you look at Bruce Suter and these guys, Raleigh and guys like that. You can't compare today to yesterday. There's no way. There's but error to error. There is there's specific marks in that in each era that you've got guys that are are incredibly dominating. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think the Hall of Fame will be a lot different in ten years than it was, you know, fifteen years ago to, to this time because I mean, starting pitchers won't have innings or wins or strikeouts. I mean, you won't have those guys with, you know, the Verlander numbers. I mean, he's one of very few that may even have a chance to to get some of the numbers like they got like a that are in the Hall of Fame now. I mean, you know, it, that's crazy to think that mm. you know. But you know, it, you know, it, it's just it's the different era, and I think we as you know society need to see who's dominating in different roles and and successful numbers don't really lie, mm. but you can manipulate them to 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 make guys better or worse right no and and the you the word that you've used multiple times which i think is important is dominant and and so you know i look at this i want to see a hall of famer be dominant you were dominant there's no question about it you know for a long time like for the position players i tried to use the the numbers were going to be all over the place. You had sort of the '90s, which is going to be different than Jim Rice's era, and but I looked at top ten, top fifteen in MVP voting because that shows you that a guy was dominant amongst his peers. Um, so I think that that's where it has to start, Billy. Like you have to look at it as 
were you dominant in your time? And clearly you were. Um, and then, and I can't be a hypocrite at the same time, is that since I've been doing this in the last couple of years, I've probably taken a deeper dive into things. And this is where I came up with Scott Rowland. You know, Scott Rowland, who has a good, really good chance of getting in this year, I voted for him, but I'm being hypocritical because he wasn't a top 10 MVP guy. But... He had, he go, if you go by war, which I think has value, like you go by war, he's a Hall of Famer, overall war. And he's a really, really good player. And maybe like it's a good example of how you can, you can factor in defense a little bit more than he did before. But, uh, but I still, for me, it all begins with dominance. And, and that's what you were. Um, and I think that's where we should start. I mean, it's, there's no question about it. Yeah, I think it's just the, the combination of what what that really means. I remember, what was oh eight? We were sit, I was sitting in the uh, sitting in the White House with one of uh, George Bush's had a uh, dinner, and he had all it right after the All Star Game in Yankee Stadium. And I go down, and I'm I'm sitting in there with a bunch of people I I, I know I don't know, and you know, of course, people are talking about the Hall of Fame, which you know I, I don't realize how I'm that I'm not. I'm not in that game right there. So just listening to guys talk about the Hall of Fame and their perspective and what this means and uh, how 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 the game is played. I think, you know, I love the discussion of what that means and stuff. I think it's just weird when there's no descriptive numbers to tell you where that begins and where that ends. Like, like to me, saves... I mean, you you have to have longevity to have saves, right? Now, but but you can't you you have no control of saves. Um, you know, guys are Mariano and Trevor, and guys are going out and getting fifty five, sixty opportunities, and you're you're getting forty. You can't get the numbers. That's just the numerical fact. Mm-hmm. But I think, but you have to do control what you can control, and. and you know, and so I think that's a that's a stat that really is, you know, misleading. Because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can't get saves that you don't have opportunities for, and so that those are misleading stats. But I think the, the stats that show dominance, you know, is uh, on base percentage, slugging, you know, strikeouts per nine innings, uh, you know, and I think. You know, I watched Rob Nin, and Rob Nin to me was probably one of the nastiest pitchers I've ever. I hadn't a bat off of him, and it was <laughs> the, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And and I'm Eddie Tobinson's catching, and I'm I, I look back and I go, Hey Eddie, hey, hey, tell me, don't have him throw me a slider because everybody talks about how awesome this slider. <laughs> that slider. And I literally about crapped myself, and I was like, oh, my God, that was so awesome. I said, Eddie, I'm not swinging. I am not swinging. I promise you I'm not swinging. But, I mean, you get what? You know, and that's another thing. Some of the things that really mean so much to me is when you look around and a guy like Nolan Ryan goes, hey, one of the best fastballs I ever saw was Billy Wagner, or Derek Jeter gives you that compliment, or, you know, those are things that, to me, you know, when you talk about dom, those are people that know what dominance means, and so you know, being able to to hear those things, and you know, I think your peer groups. Now, I, you know, I wasn't probably the most liked person in the clubhouse, and I, and it wasn't because it's just I was just about business. It wasn't about 
you know, I didn't have a hate relationship to anybody, but I liked, I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, that's, that's what, you know, I didn't want to make excuses. I didn't want to talk about why things didn't happen. I just, I mean, when I didn't do good. I just, I sucked. Mm. I wasn't very good and I got to do better. But I think, you know, and I mean, that was that old school. I remember Nolan Ryan getting, jumping all over me one time about talking to another player. Mm. I mean, you know, that was the way it was back then. I mean, you didn't fraternize. You didn't do those things. You weren't, you know, you, you know, you, that's how it was. And so that was a new, that that was part of that new transitional area where everybody was friendly and fraternizing out on the field and high-fiving their buddies and hugging in center field. And, you know, they, 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 the game has changed and, and, and evolved so much, but, you know, that, you know, I was coming through that point where there was starting to get to that transition, and so it was a it was a different, hmm. you know, uh, era for me. When I mean, you go out there. I mean, Sandy Koufax comes out when I'm in. I, I punch out. I think seven out of nine guys in with the Dodgers. And the next morning, I walk out to the field, and you know, here's Sandy Koufax. Koufax hollers at me and tells me, "Says, hey, you know, you're doing that wrong. You're pitching wrong." Oh, really? What? <laughs> I mean, you know that, but that's the freedom they they had. And you know what? I never, not one time, did I go, Sandy. What do you know? I mean, I, I was so flattered that he would sit there and tell me that I wasn't very doing it the right way. He never said I wasn't good. He just, but I mean, I, I went. I go on to find out. You know, I, I I have Tommy John, and I'm down in Port St. Lucie rehab, and guess who comes and spends a week with me? There's Sandy Koufax. Wow, he's down there. So I mean, you know, those are guys who play a role in my life and credibility. Because when you hear uh, when you hear that the, the Phil Necro or the the Bruce Suter go, "Hey, you could have played with us. Mm-hmm. You were you could have you could." That's when you go, "Well, you know what? Regardless of what happens, you telling me that I could have played with you guys because I looked up to you guys. I mean, those were you know." I, I like that. That to me is the credibility and, and stuff. And I, I mean, I like that. Mm. I mean, that was that old way of thinking. You know, and you, you talked about saves, and there's only so much you can do. And I agree with you. I mean, saves are nice, and this is sort of one of the reasons why you know closers like who were chasing the Hall of Fame back in the. I know a couple. I'm not saying you, but other guys are like, hey, I know I need saves because they're going to look at saves, and that's going to be the be all end all. But I remember. In that brief time you were in Boston, and I, I think I told you this the other day, if, if, I, if I had to pay $5 every time I use an example, you'd be even richer than you are. Because I've used, you, gave me, you gave me a perspective which I thought was so telling. Because it was the whole, you know, you came in, Papelbon was there, and you talked about the difference between the eighth inning and ninth inning. And um, he said, this is, there was a difference. There, there was a difference. There was hitters approached it differently. Umpires approached it differently. You know, uh, pitchers approach it differently. It was just different. And because that was, I think, the first time that you, in a long time, that you had to sort of experience that. Um, and I'm saying this because I think this is a, should be a feather in the cap of anybody who pitches in the ninth inning these days. Whereas we're devaluing it, saying, oh, you know, our best guy's coming in the seventh inning. I, I don't know if you agree, still agree, but I still think that getting those final three outs is probably a little bit different. Oh, well, I'll tell you right now, you ask any closer with any longevity how many times there was somebody warming up for him, you know, when he was battling through an, an inning. You know, it, it, not many. 
not many. I mean, that that, that coach made that walk of shame out there to pick you up. Oh, <laughs> that, that was that was a that's gut wrenching. But I mean, there it is. It is different. It is different. There's a rush. There's an adrenaline. The that's that's the end all say all. If you're out there and pitching these these the hitters have to you have to attack you have to be on offense and once you are you make the hitter defensive all of a sudden the game changes for you it's a little bit different and when you walk out of that that uh bullpen and they look up and they go oh crap here comes Wagner he's got a he's got a low ERA high strike yes let me tell you something they know that I'm pounding strikes and I'm coming at you and I now they have to focus a little different where you know the guy you come in there in the eighth, and I mean, and that was a luxury I had so many times where you had hotel and ledge to, to walk in in front of you. I mean, they were going to shut it down and get get you the ball. You know, you had some really, really good guys in front of me to help me to get to that point. But I mean, that that really, you know, shuts the door down. I mean, Pat's going out there in the ninth, and you know, you know his numbers. Everybody knew what he was bringing. You're no secret, but but there's an intensity to what. They, the hitter has to to deal with, and there's there's a you know you you just you don't have that sit back and wait opportunity. You, mm-hmm. you might have it in the seventh and the eighth, uh, but you, you don't have it in the in the ninth. Hmm. So what, what do you make of how bullpens are being used these days? Uh, there's still closures, obviously, you know, and you know, but it almost feels like teams feel like they they are morphing to you have to have two closures. And I know that there was sort of that the, the, the use the the most prevalent example like Wetland Rivera going back in the day, you had two closures. But now I think that the way they look at it isn't even necessarily the eighth as a setup guy. They're looking at it. All right, we're going to bring in our 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 closer guy, our one closer guy in the seventh because we're going to hit the meat of the order then, and then we're going to hit the other closer guy in the ninth. Um, what's your perspective of of how bullpens are being used now? Well, I, I think it goes back to your dominance. You know, as as a, if I'm a professional, and I'll take you know. Yeah, let me take the Phillies because I was just on talking with the Phillies about uh, Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were talking about Robbie Thompson was talking about being situational and, and stuff like that. The whole goal is to win baseball games. It's it's not about how sexy you can be. It's about winning baseball games. And so, it, you know, the worst probably thing was ever invented was somebody going, you're a closer, you're a setup man. You know, the title of being a reliever changes that if you if your color change then then nobody cares when you're used the, the closer uh you know closes the inning out so you know if they want to create that about winning then i think then i think you throw all that up but i mean today's game i mean you're starting relievers in world series games i mean mm-hmm. I, I mean i was almost i've never i've never seen that along with anybody else i mean you might have a long man that starts in the world series because You've had some long games, but or you know extra inning games and things like that. But I've never seen it where, oh, we're going to start this uh, one inning guy to start the game, and then we're going to then we're going to work backwards to our starter. You know, I you, I mean it's the game has evolved in a lot of ways, and you know, uh, in some ways, you know, you know it works. I mean, but but you know, it's not traditional baseball, and you know. For traditionalists like myself, you know, everybody's looking at it going, "Wow, how would you do that?" You know, mm-hmm. it's it's different, but you know, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with 
exploring these things and seeing how it works. I mean, if it works, it's all about winning baseball. I mean, to have two closers, uh, you know, I mean, do you really take out? Is Mariano Rivera ever going to be taken out? After, I mean, Mariano's going to throw three days. You know, that, that fourth that, that fourth day, I guarantee you, Joe Torres going to go. How do you feel? I mean, you know, and there's there's a point where that that doesn't work like that. But um, but I, I mean, you know, I think for a guy like a, a Kimbrel who has established himself and going to get 400 saves here soon, you know, I mean. You gotta allow him to be bad before you go. Hey, right. kind of got to do some stuff. I mean, to me, I mean, if you're going out there and Kimball is the normal Kimball, and he is just rolling and he's punching out everybody, and he's, you know, and like Kenley Jensen, if they're doing their job and they're doing it well, then you don't mess with success, right? And you it's, just don't mess with that. And it's also human nature, you know. You can say what we want of like, oh well, you know, you should. Hey, Craig Kimball, you should be able to pitch in the seventh inning. You should. You should matter to you but you know you know this is this is probably when we go back to i go back to the first time closer by committee was sort of thrown out there well the problem was is that you know billy like baseball players like routine they like sort of knowing what they're gonna do and and that's just how it is i mean it's sometimes some guys can adjust and guys, other guys can't, and that's okay if they can't. They're all human beings, and they succeeded in doing it a certain way. So, I mean, well, and I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think it's always about you know a routine, and when every, I mean, I mean, we are so. I, I would get to the field. I would leave to go to the field at most stadiums when I was playing, you know, I would be there before three o'clock. I mean, I'd be there probably at two o'clock, three o'clock and that and I wasn't pitching until ten o'clock. I mean <laughs> you know you know, I, I mean I'm there hours before. I mean there's really no reason for me to be there, but it was my routine. I was there and I mean that five minutes that I might have to, to do something with I had to mentally make sure I was prepared. That was my thing. And everybody likes that routine. You know, I mean, listen to Trevor or Mariano or uh, these guys and how they go through their first five innings of a game. I mean, for me, I would I would come out and watch the first three innings on the bench with the team. And, you know, I, I would feel no stress and I would be just happy-go-lucky. And then I go in and then I get stretched and rubbed down and freshened up and then – about the fifth inning, you know, sixth inning, I'm down the bullpen, and all of a sudden I'm stretching. I'm, you know, and all of a sudden the butterflies and the nerves, and the, you're starting to you're starting to look at the the lineup card of okay, they're here. If this guy gets these three guys, this you know this set up for here, and then you know you're you're up by five, and then in the eighth you're up by four, and you're kind of going, well, how's this going to work? And so you got this high anxiety moments where you're like, I got to kind of be ready, but I, they may use this guy, you know, I don't know. If it, and then all of a sudden it's like. Like, oh, hey, game on. It's three-run, two-run, one-run lead, and you're in. And so when it's a safe situation, those were the easiest because you knew what you were going. You were looking at Lamb Crow going, well, this is who I got to face. This is where we're going to sit. And you, you knew what you are up against. But it is, you're, it's a routine. I mean, it's all about knowing what you've got coming at you so you prepare. You can be prepared ahead of time. And that's why I was at the field early. That's why I'd get there and you'd see Bagwell and Biggio at – two o'clock you'd see guys who you know and it wasn't necessarily just to sit there and, and watch film it was hey i gotta make sure that i'm here i gotta make sure everything's set the way i need to i gotta i've gotta create less anxiety and stuff like that for these moments and so you know 
uh, closer above anything loves a routine. And if I know what I've got, I'm, I'm good. It's the weird moments where you're sitting there and all of a sudden <laughs> you think you're not going to be in the game and then you are put in the game. I mean, I remember Larry Durker bringing me in Chicago in the 16 one time. Hmm. I mean, did you know you're coming in or was it out of the blue? Oh, it was out of the blue. I'd, I'd literally just walk down to, to, uh, in Wrigley down to the bullpen. I'm sitting there and, uh, it was, was, well, I'll tell you, it was like two outs, uh, 0-2 count against, uh, Scott Service. Hmm. I think that was who it was. And so I come in, you know, and he goes, he gets me up and, and you know which is kind of weird and so but I'm young enough and still dumb enough to just hey it, it is what it is right you know I'm not <laughs> thank you closer set up, but I get thrown in so well he so enough he walks out calls time brings me in I got an O2 count on stop service hmm. well you know what do you, you you got there's a guy on second maybe a guy on third I can't remember but he you know he brings me in and you know I mean, what you would think, the odds are in my favor. Yeah. Because, you know, so I come in there, and first pitch I throw, like, you know, of course I'm going to throw a fastball. <laughs> I mean, so you really just, so I throw a fastball. I think Scott Service hits a, a line drive over shortstop, scores a run, you know, and you, I got a blown save for that. So you're sitting there going, what? <laughs> so, I mean, those are, so those are situations, you know, the routine's different, but it's kind of like coming in, you know, in the eighth inning, they go, okay, you got one out, man on third base. The guy hits a ground ball to the second baseman. That guy scores, mm. ties the game up. Well, you didn't do your job. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so those are, those are, but those are the routine, the routine, to, to have that routine, you are so much, so I, I can tell you, I remember coming into a set in Houston where I had that situation come up and one out of the eighth inning, they bring me in, man on third base, you got, I think it's Juan Piera, which that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he's not a strikeout guy. So he's up. I remember coming up and I walked him. I literally pitched like, I mean, he was Babe Ruth. I did not pitch to him and put him on base. Because I, I, yeah, I knew he was going to steal second, you know. But I was almost pitching myself to be in a in a bases loaded situation. I remember getting out of it. I remember getting out of the situation on a double play. But I remember coming off um, and and Vern ruling them, asking me like, why? Why would you do that? I'm like, well, that's I'm in a no win situation right here. I said, I you know I you know I did it in. Uh, at Dodger Stadium uh, one year I called I, I walked off the mound held up four fingers because Jeff Kemp was coming up I've got uh, Juan Pierre just gave me the a bat of <laughs> hell and I, so I'm sitting here and he he's on first base he still second base I wild pitch him over to third base and so and, and, and so now Jeff King comes up and I'm like, man, well, this is no brainer. I've got, you know, and I hate to say this no more, but I had no more Garcia Parra on deck. And I'm like, I've got two outs. I'm not chasing Jeff Kent, who I know personally. And I, you know, I'm going to go face no more. And yeah. I ended up striking out no more, but understanding how to put yourself in a situation to be successful. And so sometimes just, you know, living and dying with a decision and having the repercussion. I mean, I remember uh, Willie Randolph about to have a heart attack when I did that. He's like, I can't, why would you put the winning run on first base? Why would you do? I'm like, 
because I'm, I'm trying to win the game. And, you know, in my mind, I'm going, I'm trying to win the game this way. I, but that's not the way. I do not want to, I don't want to go out there and play extra innings. I want to get this guy out and I got to get, I got to find, I've got two opportunities to find one guy in the next two hitters that I can get out. That's all I got to do. I got to figure those two guys out. So routine is a big thing and, and knowing who you got coming up. And so those play such a big part of, you know, that mindset. And when you're a seventh inning guy, I guarantee you're not looking at you got coming up nowadays they tell you who you know to be ready for oh listen you, you get you get the ipad out you get the you get the whole ball of wax yeah so but you know it's this is when you're talking about this stuff this is why baseball is awesome man like it's because it's so much there's so much that goes into it there's so much that goes into every at bat there's so much that goes in every at bat to lead to the next at bat to lead to the next at bat to lead to the next inning whatever it is but this is like this is why you know we we've talked a lot about this in this sort of baseballs and boring conversation everybody just slow down a bit understand that this is a pretty cool sport um Speaking of pretty cool sports and speaking of routines, I should know this. Did you have a did you have a constant walk in music? I did. Okay. I, I, re- I did. It was Inner Sandman, which turned out to be the uh, biggest pain in the ass I've ever incurred and encountered in, in my whole life, just because you know everybody thought it was Mariano's song. I was in the National League and had no idea. This is before you really had cell phones. That's that's something. That, the internet was just a new thing. It was, you know, ESPN had just started. It hadn't been, you know, <laughs> really a big deal on TV. And, and so, I, I, Jeff Bagwell goes, "Hey, you need to play. You, you need some walk-on music because they've been playing." George Straits called me the fireman. And so, you know, and he was like, that's terrible. That's terrible. So, you know, that's what he, he proposes. So he picks this and it goes on. But, you know, then all of a sudden you go to, guess what? You come to play, the, you're in the New York Mets and there's my own. Oh, man, it was, I mean, you had, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy to think about all the grief that I caught over a song. I mean, and if it wouldn't have been me being so hard-headed, I would have just said, you know what, we can change it. It's not that big a deal. But they made so much. I was like, Psh. But you had, it, you, had, you had it first? You had it first. And that's from what I've understood. They said that's what I had at first. I mean, I don't know. I don't look into it that much. I remember uh, – that being a huge discussion when I first got to New York and I'm like, well, I, you know, I started, I was closing in, uh, 96 and this is when I was getting, you know, I, I mean, this was pretty much how that was, uh, described to me. And I'm going to, I'm going to say you had it first. I'm going to say you had it first, but so, so if, so take that out, take understanding me now the equation. We, we've talked to Papelbon about this because, you know, he's going to always say he's his is the top. Who, who, who had the best? Like, so because obviously this conversation came up again this year with Edwin Diaz, Timmy, Timmy Trumpets, which was cool. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I have heard some good ones, but his was wow. I yeah. mean, but you know what makes that so awesome? the crowd yeah you cannot have a good walk off song if you've got I mean it's almost impossible to walk out to a great song when you've got you know 12,000 people in the stands now I know it's a lot of people but it's not in a stadium mm. but when you walk out and like Hell's Bells Trevor Trevor's was I mean you know <laughs> he it, that, it put I mean I got goosebumps on me right now because it was you know in 98 when we were in the playoffs 
and he's he's closing and we go out to Qualcomm and he's pitching and I mean you hear that bell go off and I mean you might you might as well put our hitters in the dugout just say just don't worry about it you're done it's over I mean it was so electrifying that was a, and then and then and then I'll be honest with you Paps was really really good mm. Paps was I, I liked it I mean he 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 was the perfect loser mentality I, you know I didn't know how me and Paps would get along when we got to Boston because the first thing he he never met me I didn't know him the very first thing he says about me in the papers that we don't need another old guy who comes in here and broke down and I mean so so you know and so I've known Veritech and I've known Josh Beckett for a long time and so he walks in and you know he's nice he walks in and says hey Wax and I go well hey let me tell you something you do your job I'll do my job and we'll worry about being old well the best the reason I was able to do that was because Danny Darwin was picked up by us back in oh, 97, 98, yeah. somewhere in that same time. Well, they picked him up to be a setup man for me. This guy's twice my age. And I mean, he is hard as can be. I mean, he is tough. I, I'm already like intimidated. Oh, Dr. Death, Dr. Death. Oh, yeah. oh my God. And so he comes up and you know, he's all countries can be from Texas and he's slang and he's, he is. He looks at me and he goes, "Let me tell you something, you little shit. You do your job and I'll do mine, and that's all you need to worry about." <laughs> yes, sir. I remember just going, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." I mean, I didn't know if there was going to be punches thrown right there or not, but I was like, "Yes, sir." But it was. I mean, and that was that was when when Babs did that, and I had no. I, I told I told Beck and them that I was going to do that anyway. I said, "I'm going to get this young pup. I'm going to get him," because you know, unlike the guy he was talking about prior. I was all natural. So when I came back, I knew that I was going to be just as good. Yeah. I had no fear of that. And so when I came back, when he, when I came back, I'm going through that. I, I, his face, his face was priceless. <laughs> and I mean, it was just priceless. I mean, I wish, you know, at that time, I wish we had videoed this stuff and so we could have pranked him later. But it was just, I mean, but, but, you know, um, I love you know, it. But I love Paps. I loved his intensity. I, you know, I love guys that ain't afraid to take the ball, win, lose, or draw. I mean, he was so much fun when he was in the bullpen. You get on the bus with him and, and David Ortiz, you, you, it is comedy central. I enjoyed everything. Every bit of it. He was a great teammate, and you know, as, you know, I, you, there's just certain guys you're like, man, I would, I would set up that guy because he's a good dude, and I, you know, I, I really like it. Flash Gordon did that for me mm. twice. Mm. He came to Houston. He came, and I've known uh, Flash for a little while. And he, we called each other uh, brothers from another mother because yeah. we we're so short, and we did the same thing. But he told me, he goes, I came to Houston because you're, I'm a big fan of yours. Well, I go to Philly. And we needed a setup man. And I said, I told Charlie Manuel, I said, hey, get Flash. You know, he's, and Flash came to Philly because I asked him to come to Philly. And I mean, that, you know, there's just, it's really unique how you have that, that, that bond. And guys that, you know, really appreciate each other, they're willing to do things maybe that's not going to give them the credit. And I tell you, you know, that's for me going to to set up for Paps and playing (laughs) Boston and stuff like that. That was, you know, my first game was in Boston that I ever watched when I played in Cape Cod League. So I was already in love with Boston anyway. And so to get to play in that setting and then I didn't care what they wanted me to do. I was, I was, that, that was a, a big emotional thing for me. So Paps, you know, was, you know, 
you know, I fell in love with his music anyway. And, and I just and getting to know him made it even better. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Billy, listen, man, you, you've been so generous with your time, and and I am going to uh, I am going to celebrate uh, when you walk on that stage that uh, as a, as a Hall of Famer because I know you're going to get there. You deserve to be there. Um, you know, uh, all I can do is is vote my one vote and have Shoeless Joe vote his one vote. And <laughs> there, there you go. Which so. was awesome, by the way. DB, that DB was so awesome. That was when when I saw that man. I, I was so touched by that because I was just like, I mean, who's not a fan of Eight Man Out? Right? <laughs> I mean, that was just phenomenal anyway. And Shoeless Joe Jackson. I mean, that was the epitome of just great baseball. Oh uh, yeah. Well, like, like I said, I mean, you know, and and we talked a lot about it last week. Obviously, we released it, and DB was nice enough. I, I can't thank DB enough. I didn't know him at all, Billy. I mean, I didn't know him at all, but just had this idea, and he obviously latched onto it. But at the end of the day, I said, I said, listen, this whole thing, what we did that day, it was about was everything about baseball, which is is about history, it's about fun, and it's about entertainment. Like, and that's what it was, and so. You know, this is this is what the Hall of Fame conversation's about too. I mean, there's all of it, so it's good. Awesome. I well, appreciate. I really appreciate you guys. I really enjoyed that. And I tell you, even if the, I guess if you wouldn't have voted for me, I would have really enjoyed watching that. Before anything, before this is all said and done, I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball, regardless of you know. And, and I love baseball because it is flaw. It does have flaws. It's not a perfect scenario. It's it's mm-hmm. really lifelike. And so that that in itself, I really appreciate what you had me on here today and, mm-hmm. and talking baseball and, and and you know give me my whole day set now. I'm gonna feel good. The whole day. <laughs> right. I'm gonna practice and it's 35 degrees, so it's gonna be awesome. So I, I really. I, I I really appreciate it. Well, we got a bunch of baseballs and boring T-shirts for your entire team coming down. So there you go. Oh, awesome. So, Fantastic. All right, Billy. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like... I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.